As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. Right, here we go. Welcome to a Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Get out of here, Haley, Max, Sean Gentilly. It's the real Thursday show. The way it was meant to be constructed with Ian Mendes and Mark Lazarus. Right? I think I'm, is- I'm never supposed to be here. If I'm here, someone's either busy with real work or something important has happened. Because I'm just like the guy you call when you need like, oh, crap, we get, we need, go, go get Lazarus. Yeah, the e-bug of uh, podcasting. Exactly. <laughs> that's uh, that's what it is. But no, we're, we're happy to be here because we're leading into the holiday season. There's a ton to get to on this uh, on this Thursday where the news cycle has been going. And I know last, actually earlier this week, right, you sat in on uh, on the pod, what, what whatever. And I was in transit because all of a sudden I had to get myself to Arizona. So how, how'd that it's go? It's been how, a week. How, how, was, how was your, uh, your day at Pearson? Oh, man. I got stuck on the way there. And back, uh, three hours each way on on what should have been nice, quick connections. Uh, no such thing as a nice, quick connection at Pearson. Yeah, Pearson is like that's like my personal hell. Like I will go out of my way to avoid having to connect through Pearson if I can. You know, and I think what I've learned is that listeners to podcasts they love nothing more than (laughs) reporter travel stories. They're like, (laughs) there's some good ones out there. We're we're at the anniversary of the time I got stuck at O'Hare overnight uh, trying to get to Arizona. And uh, me, Chris Cook of the Tribune, and Tracy Myers of CSN Chicago spent, uh, we were on three different flights all racing each other to get there, and Tracy didn't make it, and Cook and I had to fly to Tucson and rent a car. It was good, good times. Oh, man. Did you guys go full Tom Hanks, like, in the terminal, like, overnight? Like, you're stuck in the terminal? We made it till about, like, I think two in the morning, and then I just screwed up. I went and got a hotel. <laughs> oh, man. No. Oh, no. We won't, we won't turn this into a, a, a travel story, but we will turn this into a bit of a time travel story. Because I got to tell you, Laz, like being in Arizona and looking at the Ottawa bench and seeing Jacques Martin, it was like (laughs) mind blowing to me because this is when I first started, I first broke into this industry in the early 2000s. You know, I was actually worked in the media relations department under Jacques Martin. Is that right? Yeah. If you can imagine, that's how far back my relationship goes with him 20-ish years. And then I, I switched into being a reporter and I covered him. So to see him behind the bench, like I was thinking like this would almost be like, and we'll have a nice segue to this in, in a few minutes, but like this would be like if the Sabres went back at some point, they're like, you know what? Lindy Ruff is our coach again. <laughs> like that's really the only comparable I could think. Of. It, it, it is truly wild to see somebody back there. Uh, but I'm curious in, in, in your estimation, like when you think about, whether it's players, athletes, uh, coaches, whatever, going back for a second term somewhere, anywhere. Can you think of something off the top of your head where you're like, that guy came back and it was good or as good as the first time? Like, think of, I always think of Messier to the Rangers. (laughs) They brought him back, everybody. 
and it, you know, it, when Patrick Kane's a Blackhawk again in five years to have his last season, maybe I don't know. Yeah, didn't didn't Al Arbor do that on Long Island where he retired and then came back and they and and, and they went they went on that playoff run in '93? Wasn't that his second go around? Yeah, my, my memory's a little back. fuzzy yeah. on that, but yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then Arbor actually came back to coach one ceremonial. That's game right. That's right. It gets if what was it fifteen hundred right? Yeah. So he got a third go around. I mean, he this got is a hockey. Third this go is around. this is the the this is the NHL. This is the retread league, right? This is what we do. Yeah. We don't come up with new creative ideas. We go back to ones that worked twenty years ago. Look at everyone the Edmonton Oilers have ever hired in any job ever. They all played for the nineteen eighties Oilers. You go back to what you know because that's what hockey does. Oh, man, it's wild. Like, and I was looking this up too because I saw there's a great stat that says so Jacques Martin coached his first game in the NHL last. In 1986. Jeez. Okay? And so now, it's a 37-year span between when he coached his first game and his most recent game, which is the longest span in the history of the NHL. Now, I know, like we talked about this, Arbor came back, but it was like a ceremonial yeah. game, so that doesn't really count. Like, that was like a, almost like a PR stunt. But I went back. Last, I looked at the box score of Jacques Martin's first game as a head coach. He coached against Marcel Dion. <laughs> Think about that. A guy in the NHL this week is coaching, and he coached against Marcel Dion and Tiger Williams in his first game. I, I remember, like, like, just like a couple few years ago, like the the grandson of like Zachary Taylor, the the, the president from like the Civil War era of the United. He, he died. It's like it was only his grandson because he had kids so late in life, and everyone lived so long. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't, there shouldn't be connections to Marcel Dion in the modern NHL. I'm sorry. I have concerns about this hiring. I mean, maybe I'll be proven wrong and I don't want to become across as an ageist here, but Jack Martin hasn't coached in the NHL in 11, 12 years, something like that. The game yeah. changed dramatically in that time. Can Jack Martin, a coach who is very defensive minded, can he succeed in the modern day speed oriented skill based NHL? Can that translate? Is this just a stopgap or is he really going to coach this team the rest of the year? I, you know, I think it, it stopgap is the right phrase because I, I don't think he's in this for the long haul. I think he's just hey, hey Alfredson thing. Are we getting? Are we just getting to the inevitable? Uh, I, the, like like Marty San Louis in Montreal. You know, Les, he every conversation I've ever had with Alfredson about what his role is, he was always scared off by. And this is what coaching has become, as you know, it becomes a nineteen or twenty hour a day job. Oh, it's an it's awful like, job. It's an you awful know, it job. is. It, it's mentally and physically taxing. You can't escape it. You have to be back in your office. You know, if you get in at 5.30, that's a little late in the morning. Like, you know, like, like how many staffs they have to juggle? Who's putting the coffee on? And who, like, you know, so I don't think he wants that. I don't think he wants the grind. But you know what I think is interesting? Like, like when they practiced this week in Arizona, Jacques Martin, the first practice, Jacques didn't even go on the ice. And it was <laughs> Alfredson. And Les, I don't think he had his skates on the trip. Like Jacques Martin. So they're practicing in Denver as we're recording this. I don't even know if he'll be on the ice because I don't think he brought his skates on the trip. I don't think he was thinking, oh, I'll take over at some point. So it's interesting, but he is. Is there not a six sporting goods anywhere in the state of Arizona? I mean, someone could have gotten him skates. If he really wanted skates, someone could have gotten him skates, I think. God, wouldn't you? I'd love, I would have loved to have done a feature on, hey, do you guys mind if I tag along to Dick's sporting goods as he picks up a pair of skates? That'd be amazing. Uh, for, He's trying them on. He's like, man, these are these are not custom fit at all. This off the yeah. rack stuff. <laughs> Welcome to the rest of our lives. Oh man. So look, so the coaching changes happened in Ottawa. And I think there's a great parallel between the Senators and the Buffalo Sabres in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Good young core, restless fan base. In Buffalo's case, they deserve a little bit extra. Uh, I think kudos that fan base, because now it's 12 years since they they made the playoffs and now you're starting to hear the rumblings of the fans saying Don Granado's got to go. And you know, when he first came in, it was, Hey, it's Donnie meatballs and everyone loves him. And he's this upbeat guy. Here we go. And boy, I, I don't know. The Sabres players are back in their coach. Like you would expect them to do, but is that like we all season lies, there's different pressure points, right? And places it boiled over in Edmonton. It boiled over in Minnesota. It boiled over in St. Louis. It boiled over in Ottawa. Is Buffalo the next place? 
that well, is going to boil the, over. I think the the biggest problem if you're Donnie Granado right now is how well it's working everywhere else. Ottawa, you know, so far excluded, is everybody's getting that new coach bump, right? It's fixing things. You know, you're getting temporary bumps in 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 Minnesota and even St. Louis and uh, you know, Edmonton obviously was a, a perfect example. Uh, I, I think a lot of GMs and ownerships they they think of coaches as relatively disposable. They're like running backs. They're like backup goalies. They're just you can kind of shuttle them in and out. So unless you have an elite top tier, you know, John Cooper type coach, it's easy to move on from them when things are going bad. And Don Granado is really well liked by that team. Everybody likes Don Granado. He's one of the he's one of the nice guys in the league, and everybody enjoys playing for him and working with him and being around him. But the Sabres are disappointing. Like you said, the Sa- we talked about this on the show last time where, you know, everyone said the Sabres, the Senators, and the Red Wings were all going to make the playoffs. And that just was never realistic. But what's happening is worse than, you know, just being mediocre. They're being bad again in a lot of ways. And it's tough because you know, Don Granado is not making a ton of money. They can easily swallow that contract for another couple of years by firing him. And it feels inevitable. It feels unfortunate, but it just really feels inevitable that no matter how much the players say, we support our coach. What are they going to say? They're not going to say that. Um, the results aren't there. And this was supposed to be a year that the Sabres took a leap. And we've been saying that for, it feels like millennia. And it's not happening. And if it doesn't happen, when you have a lot of talent now, it becomes an issue. And the coach is usually the first one to pay for it. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think uh, the Sabres have tried everything, right? They've tried different coaches. They've tried different rosters. And they didn't. Uh, it's interesting too, like, in Colorado, you wouldn't think Colorado's a pressure point where it's going to build over. But I I got to tell you, those comments from uh, Devon Taves this yeah. week where – and it was against Chicago, right? Like, so, you know, you – it was You lose to Chicago, right? you have a come-to-Jesus meeting. It never fails. Yeah. yeah, it's mandatory. If you lose to Chicago, Columbus, or San Jose, it's mandatory. <laughs> a, it's a team meeting, and then someone's got to pop off uh, in the media. But Taves says, quote – I think we got some guys who think they're playing well, and I think they're kidding themselves at this point. Like I, you know what I love? There's nothing I love more, Laz, than sort of peer-to-peer comments like this, like peer-to-peer accountability. And I like that. I like if you're oh, Taves yeah. and you feel empowered to say that, you, only certain guys can stand up and say that. But I love that. I love what he said this week. And good for Taves for being willing to say that on a team full of stars that are way bigger than him, right? Like, yeah. he's a good player on a great team, but he's not one of the big guys on that team. There's four or five megastars on that team, and he's out there saying it, so good for him. That said, the Avalanche are fine. They're, like, I, I covered those great Chicago teams where they would, like, manufacture their own drama during the regular season because they get bored. They get complacent. Yep. No player wants to admit this, but when you're playing on like a Tuesday night or whatever it was in Chicago in mid late December, just before the holiday break, you kind of just mail it in sometimes because the avalanche are in no danger of missing the playoffs. They're going to coast. They don't care what seed they are. If they're the one seed or the seven seed, they're just like those Chicago teams. They can win from anywhere and they know it. So it's really hard to get too amped up for every single game in the regular season. And no player is allowed to admit this. They admit it after they retire. I remember Patrick Sharp telling me about it, saying like, oh my God, we're in Carolina on a Wednesday night again. What the hell are we doing here? And you just kind of go on autopilot. And that's what the Avalanche are doing right now. They're going to be fine. When the games matter, a team that good, and when they're healthy again, they'll be just fine. And uh, Taves calls them out, and I, I pity their next opponent. Check schedule. It's the Ottawa Senators. <laughs> good luck. Uh, good luck. So the, uh, the, uh, the 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 team call out versus the new coach bump. It's like the uh, the the immovable object and the irresistible force. Oh man, it's like Bo Jackson against Brian Bosworth. <laughs> Something's gotta give. Something's gotta give. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know who loves 80s uh, football references? It's our next guest. Down goes Brown. Because you know what? <laughs> this guy's like, wait a minute. Bo Jackson and Brian Bosworth. That's I've my, heard of that's right up my alley. Yeah, I'm right there. I had the poster. Uh, of the, uh, the Bosworth poster? I had the Bosworth poster and the oh, I had all like I had all of them, but was okay. Was Bosworth the one with like the laser like Terminator yeah, thing, or yeah. was that okay? Yeah, yeah. I think it was, was the. the I, I somebody. I'm did saying it past tense as if they're not still like upstairs in a closet somewhere. Ready <laughs> yeah, to go. I used to have those posters. You know what? Didn't somebody write a a, a column for the Athletic? Like yep. at some point in the last year, somebody an amazing on the on the glory days of the '80s and '90s those posters. Yeah, like we, I, I don't know where those went. Like that is something I don't understand why this generation doesn't have them. I had the John Starks dunk over the Bulls over Jordan. And oh. I think it was uh, Cartwright, maybe. Yeah, that was mine. You had like I had guys that I wasn't even like a fan of, but you would just get yeah. the poster because it was cool, or someone gave it to you, and you're like, oh, I guess I got a Michael Jordan poster hanging in my room now. What's this guy all about? And then you know you became a fan of him. And I guess, I mean, if if they just maybe if we made turn them into cartoons. Of like bored animals, then people would uh, people and they'd be NFT baby. Get into them again. That's right. <laughs> yeah, um, I, yeah. I had a Patrick Waugh poster in my room. I grew up a Habs fan, and it said uh, it was Patrick Incroyable, and the the ROI of Incroyable was kind of pulled out, and yeah, because of Patrick Waugh, and it was like the coolest thing. But you're right, like I don't know what happened. Like yep. we're, we're I had always- I had my equivalent of that was Wendell Clark, and it was Captain Crunch. <laughs> beautiful <laughs> but but you remember even there was like a time where like teams would like have a an entire team photo like we're gonna yes. go with western motif Pat's garage dressed up i had that in... one too i think I, that one was framed i <laughs> dude i it was fantastic back then there were t- teams would do uh they would do these themed photo shoots the leafs did it you know in the pat burns era years in a row doug gilmore like i'm looking cool with a leather jacket on the motorcycle and everything and occasionally if you were really lucky and and you know Laz being being a chicago guy now you know all about this they'd all get together and they'd shoot a music video oh yeah where they would either lip sync or sing i, st- I still was- play let's go mets go from the 86 season just to annoy so my good. kids like at least once a week and it was neil sheehy was the guy who brought that to the nhl with the flames first and then over to when he when they sent him to washington he had like rod langway and like well, this is you this know, is what happened. Though. A young guys, Scott Stevens playing saxophone. Like, what are we doing here? These what, guys are what so image conscious now. They're so afraid of looking silly that they don't do anything fun. Did you see the uh, the Los Angeles Chargers kicker video that went yes. on? Sicker the kicker, and yeah. it's like a it's like a law firm video trying to get you to vote for him from the Pro Bowl. Nobody okay. does that anymore. It was hilarious. It was great. I, I loved it. It showed personality, it. and nobody wants to do that anymore because no, God see, forbid you make yourself look silly. And it, that's the problem because the, these things looked ridiculous back in the days. They looked, yeah. I mean, you you watch them now and you're like, part of you is like, okay, does this just look bad because it's 30 years later? And then, no, like at, even at the time you'd be watching. I try to them, picture like, the makeup sessions for some of those photo yeah. shoots, you know? Or like the the choreography where they're like, okay, we're all going to tilt our saxophone. Like none of you are playing. You don't even have the thing near your mouth, but we're all going to tilt Now when they the do that, time. they do it ironically. Like back then it was kind exactly. of ironic. Because every time I, you know, when I bring this up, someone's always like, well, remember the avalanche did that like Imagine Dragons? Oh God, like, that no, was bad. That, they were no. trying to like, you know, make Dave fun. Talking, staring hard into the bathroom sink. Yeah. Cause it was fun. Cause you could guess like, okay, who on the roster is going to be a little too into this? Who on the roster is going to completely no sell it. Right. And like, who's going to be in between? Like, there's always like a couple of guys, like the backup goalie would be like way too into singing. And you're like, yeah, dude, you all have the same voice. Like you're clearly not singing. We know what's happening here, but it was Sean, fantastic. Have you, have you seen the, uh, the team Sweden video? For uh, I think it was for the Sochi Olympics. They did. They had this. It's it's basically like the uh, the Swedish Motley Crew. The I think they're called the Poodles. Okay. And it's it's N for Allah for N, which was their goal song. And they did the 1980s thing where they brought all the players in to sing the chorus at the end. It's first of all the song rules. Like it's okay. a it's like a legitimately great like 80s style rock song. 
And the video is hilarious because you got like Henrik Lundqvist and you got like, you know, all these guys out there. So you got to go. It, it's one of my favorite videos. Okay. I'm, I'm going to look that up because I, okay. I tell you, man, between the post, like, look what they did. Look what they took from us. My <laughs> look at the Mexican, my kids boy. today. You have no idea. Do you guys ever see this? And, and, and we'll get, trust me, we'll get on to, to, to actual fun. Yeah, will we? Uh, will we? Not necessary. No, will not we? necessarily. Um, do you guys ever see? It's from the 80s. The Buffalo Sabres anti-drug yes. song, the rap yep. song, and it's oh. like Tom Barrasso and Housley and Andrew My name's Chuck. Tom Barrasso, and I'm here to say, yeah. Well, I guess we, we can all think totally of something that rhymed with Barrasso <laughs> that worked pretty well for that guy. But they they did. There was a guy. There, and there's unreal. one where at least one where the guy's playing the piano, and he's like a local Buffalo like celebrity comic yeah. musician, like you know, which is a thing back then. Who ended up. Don't Google how things ended up for that guy because it didn't, you know, it's it's going to diminish the message. But yeah, the, the Buffalo Sabres were here to tell you not to do drugs. I, and I think it was a couple of times. I think they did, a, did it two years in a row. So if you've ever wanted to see like Dave Anderchuk sit you down for like a real like chat about the... I think the Simpsons destroyed this with the Timmy O'Toole uh, that we're sending our love down the well video. Like probably. I think they killed they, fun videos. They may have. But I'll tell you, between the Buffalo Sabres... And saved by the bell. I wasn't going near any drugs for, for a long time. <laughs> you were I, so excited, I, I, but you were so I was, I was hey. too excited for the Sabres video is what happened. John, was it Johnny Dakota telling you to say nope to dope? Uh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I told you we, we, we would, uh, we would get back on track. All right. Uh, <laughs> look, you love eighties, nostalgia, nineties, nostalgia, all three of us do, but I know, uh, uh, Sean, you also love talking about the NHL and the way they handle discipline and Dylan Larkin, who was the victim of, of, it was a tough play with Matthew Joseph, and I understand the debate around it, and I totally get it. So, I and I understand Dylan Larkin's frustration when you've had a history of neck and head injuries and all that stuff. And he kind of went off on the league this week, kind of saying, "Look, it's it's hard to feel safe the way that this league hands out discipline." Should mm -hmm. they? Should they? Uh, Department of Player Safety, Sean take those words from Dylan Larkin to heart, or do you think they'll just be like, ah, whatever, we're just going to spin that wheel? I, I mean, I, I think at this point, this is well-tried ground, right? I, I think most of us feel like we would like to see the suspensions be stiffer. We would like to see, you know, potentially suspensions for, for more things. We would all love to see the fines actually matter uh, as opposed to the, you know, the, the maximum amount in CBA, which is nothing for these guys. And yeah, I didn't like that Dylan Larkin play. I really didn't. And especially remember, he's got not just a history of this injury. He's got a history with the same player, with Matthew Joseph, you know, ha having had that injury before. So I get where he's coming from. The problem is always with this discussion is everybody wants them to be stricter and tougher until it's their team. And then suddenly when it's their team, it's, oh, wait a second. I mean, come on, this guy, he's a good guy. And and this this is the perfect example because you got Dylan Larkin sitting there saying, hey, you know, I have a history of these injuries. I got a history with this guy. I get, you know, a, a, it's it's not a hockey play. Whatever you thought it was, a punch, a, you know, a, a stick, whatever. It's not a hockey play to come up high and hit me in the head. And you should be responsible for what happens. And maybe you didn't know that another guy was coming in when I was going to get, you know, sandwiched and hit like that. But you're targeting my head in the run of play and it results in an injury. And yeah, I, you know, there should be stiffer discipline. Great. I'm sure every Red Wings fan agrees with him. But then five seconds later, David Perron comes over and blatantly cross checks a guy in the head, blatant attempt for injury. He does get the big suspension. And how many Red Wing fans are saying, well, wait a second, you can't not David Perron, right? And you got Alan Walsh on Twitter. Oh, he's a good guy. He's never been suspended before. Pick a lane. You know, it's gotta be one or the other. Yeah. Yes. Dylan Larkin wants to argue, and I'm not suggesting Dylan Larkin should argue against his own teammate, you know, stand up and, you know, we, we don't expect him to do that. But if you're a Wings fan and you're saying they've got to, they've got to bear down on player safety and they've got to be stricter. Great. David Perron's a double digit suspension now, if we're going by that criteria. Yep. So you, you got to pick both. It can't just be everybody else. And especially if it happens to my team, make it stricter. But when my team's on the other side of it, well, then, you know, then it's, uh, um, you know, let's not go overboard. Let the boys play hockey, you know, old, old time hockey and all of that nonsense. Yeah. I, I want to see this stuff out of the league completely. And I want to see the suspensions be bigger, but the problem is you're running into this inertia and nostalgia of the league. I mean, look, Kevin Kerr's had a great story today on the athletic about 
you know, uh, John Tortorella's comments last month that this is the no-hit league guy now, and, and guys don't know how to get hit. And as a result, they're getting injured. He's basically blaming the players for getting hurt in some ways. And it was a really nuanced story that Kevin did a really good job with. But the problem is so many people in the league are like, I want more hits. I want this as part of the game. And it runs counter to the also, we need to protect our star players. I'm much more concerned with protecting the star players than seeing it. I like seeing a good, clean hit in the league. But if I can see fewer headshots and it means I see fewer big hits, then I'm okay with that. That's a trade-off I'm willing to make. I want to see Dylan Larkin on the ice. I want to see him play hockey more than I want to see anybody go and take a run at someone, more than I want to see guys getting cross-checked in the back of the head in the crease just because it's always been allowed, more than I want to see David Perron retaliate for a hit like that. I don't want to see any of that stuff. I want to watch hockey. And the problem is this league doesn't care. The league wants it to be like it was in the 70s. Well, the the league, I think the league is, you know, and and I'm the last person to defend the league, but I'll I'll kind of go halfway to that. Well, not the league, the people in the league, I'm saying. I think Gary Bettman wants this stuff out of the game, but your John Tortorellas don't. I think they're caught in between because, you know, this is very similar to the debate over fighting, right? Where we saw, you know, fighting for years, we would argue it back and forth. And then it just kind of naturally on its own started to diminish to the point where it's at, at an, you know, very close to an all-time low right now. It's not really part of the game anymore, certainly not like it used to be. And great, that's better for player safety. It's better. We know too much about concussions and, and the injuries and the long-term effects of this stuff. So I'm, I'm all on board with that. But at the same time, the NHL minus fighting for a lot of fans is a less entertaining league. Just like the NHL without the big hits is a less entertaining league. Like when I was growing up with hockey, you went to a hockey game or you sat down to watch one. There were four things you were looking for. You wanted to see goals. You wanted to see big, exciting saves. You wanted to see big hits and you wanted to see fights. And the fights are almost gone and the big hits are almost gone. And the big, exciting saves were almost gone because these goalies are all giants now and they just you know flop down and let the puck hit them in the chest. And the goals have dropped. So, you know, if I'm the NHL and I'm always the one saying, Whenever the NHL has to make a decision, I'm going, guys, you're an entertainment product. Don't forget the entertainment for a lot of fans. And and absolutely, Mark, there's a lot of fans out there like you, too, who say this seeing this stuff takes away my entertainment. And obviously, no one wants to see guys get hurt. But there's a lot of fans who would say you've taken away the fighting, you take away the hitting. There's not enough there that it's still still fun. And and I guess the last thing I'd say on that. We started with the 80s and 90s nostalgia. Go back and watch a hockey in the 80s and 90s. You can argue there's too much of this crap today. And I'll be right there with you. Don't ever say that the league hasn't greatly diminished this stuff or that the game doesn't have a lot of it, whoever you want to give the credit to. There is stuff now that we debate for a week, whether this was a clean or dirty hit, that was not even noticed in the 1980s or 90s. It wouldn't even have made the highlights. But the hit now happens and we talk about it and we argue about it. I, I saw it today. I saw a back and forth where somebody was getting mad on Twitter saying it's it's so ridiculous to say the league has taken a lot of the dirty crap out. Go back and watch what it was 20, 30 years ago. And yeah, that's a low bar. Well, yeah, watch, watch Billy Smith uh, or Ron Hextall in the crease oh. just whacking at guys' ankles. You, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a, a wise ass here. Go watch a rivalry game in 1989. You will see more violence and dirty hits and fights and everything. Yeah. And you will see an entire week of a full NHL schedule today. I think now, that's as much to do with the evolution of the players as the evolution of the game, though, right? Yep. It's 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 a little bit of everything, and some of it is rule changes, and some of it's how they officiate, and obviously not all of it. Um, that's how it was with fighting, right? We used to always debate do they need to uh do they need to pass a rule to get rid of fighting? Do they need a rule? Because that's the only way it's ever gonna change, is if they, you know, Gary Bettman has or whoever it is has to make a rule, and they never yeah. made a rule, but it it kind of on its own diminished. Same thing's happening with hitting. But I get where from an NHL standpoint, hey, man, when you watch a a commercial for an NHL game or a video game or anything with the NHL, they're not showing poke checks. They're not showing shot blocking. They're showing big hits and violence. And that's part of the selling point of the game. And if it all goes away, and maybe it should, but what are you left with? How do you still market this game? I I feel like that's a false equivalency, though, right? Because you can eliminate getting cross-checked in the back in the crease. And still have open ice hits, still have guys getting smeared along the boards in a non-boarding fashion. Like there's, 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 it's, it's, it's a sliding scale, but there are clear mm-hmm. delineations between the kind of stuff that nobody's, nobody's excited about seeing what happens in the net front. 
That's yeah. not a fun, exciting play. And that's not Jacob I'm with you destroying on a human being. I am with like, you on that, but I, I do think we... That's what happened to Dylan Larkin. It was a, a seemingly innocuous yep. standard, get a thousand times a night, cross-check to the back of the head. It just happened to knock him out cold where we thought he had died on the ice. Yep, absolutely. But but at the same time, what I'll push back for you is this idea that, you know, I still love a big open ice hit. Do you? What if the guy gets knocked out? What if the guy gets a separated shoulder, or, you know, breaks a collarbone on that big hit? Do we still like it then? And we've seen, uh, right? We've seen big hits where we're sitting there going frame by frame. Okay, was this a big clean hit or was this a dirty hit that needs to be a 10-game suspension? It's, you know, it's very easy to say, you know, take all this stuff out, but I still love the big clean hits. John Tortorella, as much as I hate to say it, I see where he's coming from on this idea that if you take all the other stuff out, suddenly these guys maybe aren't ready for that big open ice hit. Yeah, it's like Jacob Truba being six foot eight, like when he delivers mm -hmm. a clean hit, it's a headshot to most guys, right? Yep. Yeah, but hey, listen, I remember uh, when I worked at Sportsnet and we had the Nash, uh, you know, we, we were uh, a national broadcaster. We had games. And so before the season, they actually brought all of us to Toronto. This would have been around 2012. And they brought Brendan Shanahan in to speak with us mm -hmm. about this exact topic, about what's a clean play, what's a clean hit, what's a dirty hit, how do we do suspensions? And you guys remember this? Shanahan came in and he was like, you're getting 20 games. You're getting 20 games, and we're going to curb this thing. What happened? That lasted Everybody six hated weeks. It. Everybody hated Every, it. Everybody hated yep. it. So for the crowd that says, you know, if you gave them a 20-game suspension, none of this would happen, Brendan Shanahan tried to do that, and there was just same, too much pushback, right? Same thing when, when people say, just call the rule book. Call the rule book. And if you yep. got to call 10 power plays a game on each side, do it. They'll figure it out. We did that in 2005, 2006. Scoring went up because the entire game was played on the power play, and everybody hated it. You liked it when your team was getting the power play, but the rest of the time you're like, this is nonsense. Let them play hockey. So yeah. careful what you wish for, I guess. And, you know, yes, obviously, if you if you started doing 20 game suspensions and you stuck with it for a few years, then the message gets Maybe. through and the they behavior changes. They, but you won't get that far. Or two tops you won't time. get that far without without people losing their minds, because all of us. We all I pat ourselves on the back, you know. I'm I'm so forward thinking with this stuff. Yeah, until it's your team, and then and then you fall back on well, but that's not how they call for everyone else. So it's okay when my team does it too. Well, you know what? Pick a pick a side, pick a lane, and most people pick the lane of whatever works for my team in a given moment. Okay, as we uh, let you go, I think, and, and I apologize to our producer Jeff for throwing this last second, but I think Jeff says he's got a picture of Pat's garage with the Maple Leafs that I think we could possibly show here. On the way. Look at this. Cool. This is old timey <laughs> posters of the 90s. The Toronto Maple Leafs. So, what year is this, Sean? 93? This, I believe, is uh, 93 or maybe 94. What a Look time to this. be alive. Look at yeah. this photo. That's, that's Gilmore on the, uh, on, on the motorbike. There is a song, too. You can find that on YouTube. Glenn Anderson, uh, The Leafs Are the Best. Uh, Mike Myers <laughs> makes a guest appearance. It's, uh, yeah, okay. So, I. <laughs> This is 94. Not, Pat's Garage is 93. The gangster one here is, this is 94, I want to say. What this trophies are those hanging uh, up there? That would be the conference uh, champion. Uh, no, not the, that's the, uh, the Division title and the uh, Jack Adams. Jeez. That's, Pat Burns wow. and Doug Gilmore won, wow. won the awards. <laughs> that is the most Toronto thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. That's so other teams are doing it too. I'm just, you know, but hey. just having those, those trophies there. No, just, but when my team does oh, it, it's yes, okay. Yes. Mark, where you're not paying attention to the whole thing. It's not yeah. cool for other teams, but when my team does it, it's fine. Exactly. All right. Always great to have you drop by. We love the, uh, the, the, the nostalgia. What, what do we have? What references to the Brian Bosworth and God. yeah. Bo Jackson. I think we got, Jackson. Jackson. I got Jim Everett in there. I don't know. Podcast. I think we had him too. Yeah. Awesome stuff. All right. Hey, listen, happy holidays to you and the family, and, uh, and we'll get you again at some point next week. Or Sounds I think good. we're going to be doing a best of show, so we'll, we'll get you in Can't there wait. for that. Too. All, right. All right. Thanks, guys. There he goes. Down goes Brown, Sean McAdoo, uh, joining us as he uh, does on a weekly basis uh, here on the Athletic Hockey Show. All right. We've swapped out Down Goes Brown and brought in Eric Duhashik from, uh, from Calgary. Eric, we were just chatting about, and I think maybe you saw it too because you were kind of in the, in the waiting room, what happened to those great posters of the 80s and the 90s? I don't know. And I think part of the problem is that, you know, the, the, the world changed around us. You, you know, Mark writes about this all the time. 
When I started covering hockey in 1980-81, we traveled with the team. You know, we were, you know, handed boarding cards. It was commercial flights, no charters. Uh, Al Coates was the travel secretary. And you got handed a boarding card just like the player beside you. And, and often you sat beside the player, right? So how do you develop relationships with players today? I don't know how I developed them in the first 10 years that I covered hockey was I'd be sitting next to Kerry Wilson and he'd be studying his medical text and we would talk about it and I got to know his family and he got to know mine. And, and it was, it was just, it, it felt more like, um, like you had relationships with people. And, and I think that the teams thought of it that way. It was, it was, there was a certain, the business was small, right? You know, Gary Bettman came in in 93 and hockey became big business. And prior to that, there, there was something more, um, you know, like individual entrepreneur feel about it. And, and so, so that kind of stuff happened. I mean, you know, you, you talk about nostalgia. Okay. I can do, I'm, I'm the king of nostalgia. My favorite <laughs> thing, Mark, is that Chicago Blackhawks Christmas Carol where Frolic Navidad. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was a famous <laughs> yeah. one. Frolic Navidad. And, 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 and that was fun too. And that was, you know, what, 20, 12, 13, somewhere was, around there. Uh, so, early 2010s, yeah. Yeah, so, so you know, I mean, people were have had fun since the, the And 1990s. there's still some of that on, like, on social bit. media. Yeah. Like, yeah, the, but, there's teams that'll do that, but it's it's done, like, like that one, where it's done kind of ironically, where it's not like, you know, look how cool we are. We're in Pat's garage. Yeah. Like, yeah, it feels yeah. like they really meant it back in the 80s, you know? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, look at the New York, the New York Rangers, uh, the you know, the hockey sack, and I, I mean, you know, that that was just more of of a thing there because it just felt like a like like the NHL twenty one teams, it just felt clubbier, and uh, yeah. and it and 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 that that over time changed, and uh, you know, and we are where we are today. So, um, I, yeah, I liked it better in the old days too, but it was it was mostly because I always go back to this: how do you write effectively about someone if you don't know them right so there was always a fine line where where it, it helped to know the, the you know the names of the players wives and their kids and their birthdays and you just felt like you were writing about somebody that you knew but but there was a, you, you couldn't cross the line like you know to me you could not have a friendship with a player because there were times when when you would write something critical about them and uh, you know and the next day they're sitting on the plane beside you reading <laughs> your story in the newspaper where you're okay. letting them have it. I mean, that has happened. That happened 10 times, 12 times. And it, but it always gave you a good opportunity to discuss what you did for a living. And, and, and I used to have this argument with Gary Roberts all the time. Roberts would say, all you guys ever do is criticize. And I say, no, we critically evaluate. I said, there is a small nuance difference because critically evaluating means when you play well, I write that you play well. And when you play poorly, I say you play poorly. And that that's that's just what the job is. And you know, we would sit there and digest it and we'd go back and forth. But but you know, you, you had an opportunity to say those things. And I always think about the issues sometimes that you know that reporters have with, with players. It's because nobody gets to communicate. You're, 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 people are standing there in a scrum and there's a question, there's an answer, there's a question, and an answer is that it, and then away they go. And and you know how do you how do you converse with someone? How do you let them know a little bit about yourself? Anyway, it um, it it was different and it was more fun. I think then um, hockey doesn't seem there doesn't seem to be a lot of joy in in the sport right now. It just seems very clinical to me. Yeah, you know I I always say it's uh, you, you want to build with athletes, build relationships, not friendships, right? And, yeah. and if you can yeah, do exactly. that, yeah, uh, you can be accountable to them and 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 all of that. Um, you know it's. It, this is actually uh, an easy segue into this. We we're talking about spanning the decades or, or whatever. I, I said this to Laz earlier. It's crazy. Jacques Martin, his first game that he coached in the NHL was against Marcel Dion yeah. uh, and Tiger Williams. And on Thursday night, he'll be up against Kale McCarr and uh, Nate McKinnon. So think about that. Think of the span of that. I want to segue into Yaramir Yager. And I always thought this was a cool stat about Yager. He's the only guy to ever play against Guy Lafleur and Connor McDavid. So you want to talk about spanning generations? That's what uh, that's what uh, Yager did. But he's back in the news cycle because he he's kind of back playing in 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 his hometown, and this punts his Hall of Fame eligibility again. And Laz and I and I I don't know where you fall on this, Eric, because you obviously have a great institutional knowledge of the Hockey Hall of Fame and the voting process. At fifty-one, why can't we make Aramir Yager 
eligible for the Hall of Fame. Well, I mean, I don't disagree with that. And and in the past, the Hall of Fame has made exceptions for players, um, you know, and waived the, uh, you know, the the three year eligibility rule in, in you know, Wayne Gretzky's case, uh, you know, like he was inducted five minutes basically after he retired and, and he was the only player inducted that year. Um, and eventually they changed that rule and they stopped making exceptions because of the number of players who had unretired. Mary Lemieux was one, Guy Lafleur was another. And they felt that it was a little bit of embarrassing to have somebody in the Hall of Fame, you know, and, and still playing. So I, I think at that point they had made a decision that they do it at the um, at the director level uh, that, that they wouldn't make an exception for anyone. I, I guess my counterpoint would be, like, what's the difference? I mean, Yaromir Yager is a Hall of Fame player. And 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 I think that when the committee meets, when he finally does go three years between his last appearance in an in a organized game and his eligibility, it'll, you know, there'll be 18 eyes around the room because it's an 18-member selection committee and, and probably a show of hands and they won't have to go through the formal process because everyone knows he, he's a Hall of Famer. So whether he goes in in the class of, like if he hadn't played this year, he would be eligible three years from now in, in 2026 uh, or 2027 or 2029. At some point, he does go in. Um, you know, Dominic Hasek was the same thing. Like he kept resetting his goalposts. Uh, you know, a player who hasn't got in who kept resetting the goalposts was Theo Fleury because he went and, and played in England. I, like I just don't have a, an issue with it. It doesn't. It, to me, it doesn't matter what year he goes in. But I, we were talking about fun. I think that in this particular case because he is so unique that I, I'd be completely on board with that. And by the way, if you want, I, I can actually tell you a, a Yager story because, you know, when, when you think about when he first started, I saw him play an, a, a game a, a year before he got drafted. And that was more complicated then because Czech players were, you know, like Czech, Czechoslovakia had just become the Czech Republic and, and Slovakia. And in 1989, Calgary Flames team that I was covered made a 17-day tour of Czech Republic and Russia. And that was after they'd won the Stanley Cup and they were going to Moscow to pick up Sergei Makarov, who was coming to join them as a 33-year-old rookie. But before that, they spent a week in Prague and they played two games against the Czech national team. And in the second game, the Czech rookie line was, was scheduled to play. And that was Robert Reichel, Bobby Halik, and a guy named Jaromir Jager that you know, we were starting to hear hints about uh, because he was draft eligible the next year. So we went out to the Czech training center in pre-Bram um, and because we wanted to talk to Robert Reichel, no one had spoken to him at, at his draft. And the, the interpreter, Jan Yanda, uh, introduced us to, to Reichel and, and George Johnson. And I was there, uh, my colleague at the, at the other paper. We spent about 10 minutes talking to him, but we watched the practice. And one of the things that they did at the practices in those days was that the young players had to pick up all the pucks at the end of practice. So we're there with the interpreter and there's Yager, Halik and Reiko bending down and gathering all of the pucks and carrying them off the ice. <laughs> and it's like, wow, that's, that is old school. And then we're interviewing Reichel and this tall guy walks by and, and it's the spitting image of Mario. And I go, is that Yager? And he goes, it looks, the interpreter goes, yeah, that's Yager. And I'm thinking, this guy is massive. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, like why this guy's going to go first overall, even though, you know, in those days, it wasn't clear when these young Czech players would be able to come over. And then of course, you know, Quebec had the first pick that year, and Pierre Page was running the team. He took Owen Nolan. I asked him afterwards. I said, "This Jogger guy—he looks—he's huge." And uh, why wouldn't you take him? Well, you know, when when are we going to get him? Well, Pittsburgh took him and got him right away. And you know, can you imagine if Yaromir Jagr had been drafted by that Quebec team that had young Joe Sakic, young Matt Sundin, you know, Peter Forsberg coming along the line? Uh, I mean, that could have potentially been maybe the greatest team of all time, the history had been a little bit different. So, and that was in 1989. And here we are in 2023. And we're still talking about Yara Yager play. I, my, my first job <laughs> out of school was covering the uh, Penguins in the spring of 2001. I graduated early and I got the job out in, and that was uh, Yager's last year in Pittsburgh. He was already in his 11th season in the NHL and I was just starting out and I'm an old man. And he's still playing. It's kind of yeah. incredible. The, the Blackhawks opened the season four years ago in Prague. And I rented a car and popped over to yeah. Clodno. And I visited yeah. him and I did a story on him. And 
I mean, to me, this whole Hall of Fame thing is very silly. To say what he's doing yeah. is playing organized hockey is a bit of a stretch. He is the owner of the team who needs to sell tickets. Yeah. And God bless him. He's out there three times a day on the ice practicing with his weighted vest and his weighted anklets and all that stuff. And he's still got the big, huge ass that bounced all the goals off of. I mean, he's still a horse out there. And you saw that great play he made uh, that, that was going around on, on Twitter the other day. He made that assist. But he is a novelty act as much as anything in Cladno right now. I know it's the Hockey Hall of Fame and not the yeah. NHL Hall of Fame. I get that. But he's 51. He's never playing in the NHL again. Let's just yeah. put him in the Hall already. Yeah. yeah, it would be like keeping Spaceman Lee out of some, uh, you know, baseball institution because he's still pitching slow pitch yeah. somewhere or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Eric, I want to ask you one other uh, a thing here before we let you go, and that's the Calgary Flames, and 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 you're in that market. You 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 can see what's happening there. They might be the most interesting team to monitor in the next six weeks or eight weeks, and we got a brand new general manager, brand new head coach, but. What's Craig Conroy up to here? Well, what's going to happen in Calgary as we get closer to the trade deadline? Well, you know, so if you look at Chris Johnson's trade board, uh, he had four flames right at the top of it. One of them got traded already. That was Nikita Zadorov. The remaining three are all players that, that can help a team that, that thinks they can win a Stanley Cup, potentially win a Stanley Cup. So it's Elias Lindholm who not that long ago was the center of what we considered the top line in hockey when Johnny Gaudreau was on the one side and Matthew Kachuk on the other. You've got Chris Tanev, who the other night blocked 10 shots and is just this unbelievable warrior who can just, you know, can just grind out the defensive minutes and, and just like one of the bravest players I've ever seen. And, and Noah Hannafin, who, you know, came over to Calgary in the same deal with Lindholm from Carolina, who... He came a much better all-around defenseman than I thought. You know, when he first arrived, I thought there were issues with his hockey sense. And I saw a little bit of Dougie Hamilton in him. And he's just really rounded into a, a very good NHL defenseman. So all are on expiring contracts, all are on very attractive contracts. None of them make five million dollars a year. They're, you know, two of them are four eight, five, four, nine, five, and I think ten of us four or five. So, you know, we're approaching the midway point of the season. You know, half the dollars are going to be clicked off by January 6th or 7th. And 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 they're they're available. Now, you know, the, the, there's a difference between being available and making a deal. So of the three, I think the first one probably who will be traded will be Lindholm. Um, but you have to create a market for him. So you, you hear Colorado, of course they want him. Colorado's got a chance to win the Stanley Cup this year. Ryan Johansson just flat out is not a number two center. I don't think Colorado can win unless they bring in someone that can play in the top six and anchor that second line, the same way that Kadri did the year that they won. So to me, that's the logical fit. And then it's a question of, you know, are they prepared to give up what it takes to get him? Um, you know, I think, you know, here the Boston Bruins, I think, have a clear need for Lindholm. The sense is that they're just not prepared to, to pay the price for him. And then, you know, who doesn't need a defenseman when it comes time to, you know, to, to push for the for the playoffs? So, you know, one of those defensemen likely will end up in Toronto, probably Tanev, because you know the manager in Toronto signed Tanev originally for Calgary. I think the Flames haven't completely given up on signing either Tanev or Hannafin. Um, I think that Lindholm has priced him, himself out of, of their price range and, and he will be traded for sure. Uh, I think one of the other two will be traded and I, there's a possibility that, you know, whichever one isn't traded might sign in Calgary. Man. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fascinating with those those guys. And I, the, the market for Lindholm should be through the roof. Uh, if and when he's, yeah, if and when he's uh, they're ready to move him. Uh, Eric, as always, great to have you on. Uh, happy holidays to you and uh, and 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 your family and uh, and hope uh, hopefully we can get to do this again in uh, in 2024 with you at some point. All right, my pleasure. There he goes, Eric Duhachik. Uh, always great to get him. And those are just some oh, man. I would just sit down. I would I would sit down and just listen to Eric Duhachik talk about media and reporting. And the, kind of the, the great stories from the 80s, right? Like, it's just... I've, I've done that at a bar once or twice, yes. right? Now with Hatton, let him best. go. It's, it's just the best. Yeah, absolutely.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, let's wrap up this uh, this Thursday pod. Um, boy, this was, a, this was a weird story this week involving Nolan Patrick, who, I mean, second overall pick, just what, uh, 2017, so not that long ago, second overall pick, and there's a story out, Nolan Patrick has retired. Like, okay, that's kind of weird. Uh, but then Global News uh, on, on Wednesday, Laz said, we've reached out to the family of Nolan Patrick. 25-year-old, uh, he's not retiring. Elliot Friedman reporting that he did reach out to Nolan Patrick uh, Thursday. He declined to talk, but he did say he is not officially retired. So. I, you know, I don't know what the, I don't know if this is like one of those, you know, Tom Brady, did he retire? Did he not retire deal? But you just hope that the young man is in a good space because it, it has been a tough go for him with concussions and a career that just never got traction. But is, isn't it weird that a guy that people would say, oh, he retired and then actually, no, hold on. He didn't retire. Well, I mean, that's the, speaking of the the changing media landscape. I mean, stories come out and, you know, we don't know whether they're true or not half the time until it's confirmed by someone that, you know, that we do know or that the player himself comes out and says something. Uh, we see that all the time now with, uh, you know, Shohei Otani going to Toronto. I mean, you, you just, you know, you never know what to believe anymore. But um, I, I think I, I'm assuming that someone just got some wording wrong and hearing talking about somebody. I mean, it's it's entirely plausible that Nolan Patrick will never play in the NHL again, right? Given everything yeah. he's dealing with, it's entirely possible he doesn't play hockey again. But he's only 25, and you know head injuries and concussions—they're—they're—they're uh, they're, they're an odd thing. Like you don't know. Like someday you're just gonna, you might wake up and feel good again, and you might be able to start training again. And you know we saw this with Jonathan Taze and long COVID, where he thought he might be done forever, and then he was able to come back and play a couple of seasons. And now he's deciding whether he wants to do that again. You know, you could say Jonathan Taze is retired, but he hasn't retired. And we don't know what his plans are because he hasn't told anybody. And I think that's where Nolan Patrick is, is these guys, especially at 25 years old, you don't want to give up the hope, right? So he could just be mulling his options, wondering about his future and someone misheard something. I don't know how the story came about, but it's entirely plausible. And I can understand how it can get some traction given his history. Uh, let's read a couple of emails. I got to read a couple of emails here to wrap up the show as well as uh, Ted writes to us. Good morning from Kingston, Ontario. Now that Puckdoku is uh, tracking user stats as to which players you have guessed the most, I'm interested to hear when you guys play, who are your go-to guesses? My top 12, this is from Ted, Wendell Clark, Paul Correa, Doug Gilmore, Adam Oates, Chris Gratton, uh, Jose Theodore, Owen Nolan, Ed Belfort, Mike Keane, Dave Anderchuk, Lyle Odeline, Kirk Muller. I feel like my list is the tell me you're old without telling me you're old <laughs> list. 
I'm just interested in what Gen X groups will go with Pakdoku, Gen Z, if that's what Julian is, or Gen Z, I, I guess as they say uh, in, in Canada last. Uh, love the show. Thanks for keeping me entertained and informed during my work days. Ted from Kingston. Well, we won't go through your top 12, but if you play Pakdoku, who's who's like a, a guy that automatically is is in your list. I gave up on Pakdoku. I was terrible at it. That immaculate grid. Really? I don't understand it. I have a head for this stuff, but like I look at the, the grid and like my brain goes blank. Like I do Gordle every morning. I'm, I'm better, much better with the word games. I always get Gordle on within four or five tries. Like that's my, and my go-tos are McDavid, Lemieux, Gretzky, Janssen to start every single time. And I'm gold. Pakdoku, I, I, I have like a, I get panicked and I get into like the sweats and I start feeling like I'm, I'm ashamed of myself for being so bad at it. And I just, I was doing so bad. So I, I gave up because it was, it was, it was, it was, I was starting to question myself worth playing it. Really? Man, I was they, so bad I, at it. I think it's right up your alley. Yeah, um, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm so bad at it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with uh, the, the emailer here, uh, Ted from Kingston. Yeah. A couple of those names are guys that I, I, Adam Oates. Adam Oates is a good one for like Anaheim and Edmonton. Like a couple oh, of places. Are we talking you, about just guys you guess when you don't have an answer? Guys yeah. who just been on a lot or, of no, teams. or just your popular guesses, but like, yeah, those are the guys that you know, like, or uh, you know, Jose Theodore in Minnesota, like the, the guys who were sneak sneakily played somewhere. Yeah, Brett Hull in Arizona is always a good one. Uh, guys that only just played somewhere, Marty Brodeur in St. Louis. Every time right? there's Rangers ones, I pick Rich Pilon, and it's like 0.1. Oh, yeah, times McIndoe and I always joke about how was there a guy imagine today in, in the age of social media. And the defenseman, and his name is Rich Pylon. And you know, imagine the abuse he would take as this I think guy that's why he was Pilon. a tough guy, right? He probably had to deal with that stuff growing up so bad. Like oh, being man. named, like, I don't know, like Dick Johnson or something in high school. Yeah. You have to learn to defend yourself. <laughs> I think that's how Rich Pylon, it's, it's, he had to pronounce it Pylon for one yeah. thing. And then he had to be, beat up a lot of guys along the way. I think that's how he got to the NHL. Oh man, you know what my go-to game is in the morning to kind of get my brain going. Uh, and this isn't just a, a blatant New York Times cross promotion, but I'm all about connections. I love connections. Yeah, connections is I, my game. I, I wake up and I do Wordle, Gordle, and Worldle, which is guessing a country based on its shape, and then its neighbors. That's how I get my brain going in the morning. Then oh later my in the god, day, I would be I get into the New York at, Times suite at Wor and I do Wordle. letterboxed yeah. and I do the crossword puzzle. And I do yeah. uh, uh, spelling bee and all that. I, I got to be a little sharper for connections. Oh, man. Can't do that uh, first thing. Okay, real quick here. Let me sneak this one in from Zach from Tennessee because it kind of comes up your alley uh, uh, because he's, it has a Chicago theme to it. Uh, Zach says, first time writing into the show, longtime listener and a fan. My question is, why aren't teams calling about Phil Kessel? He's got 992 career points, still holds the league's Ironman streak. I don't see why a team like Chicago yep. uh, doesn't take a shot with Phil the Thrill. He's not that old. And so, you know, he, he goes on to say, look, I, I think Phil Kessel deserves to get to a thousand points. He might be a nice fit somewhere. Love the show. Keep up the great work. Your show makes my quiet overnight shifts bearable. That's from Zach in Tennessee. Thanks. Uh, thanks for the note, Zach. Glad we can help out uh, making those shifts a little bit more enjoyable. So Phil Kessel, uh, why hasn't anybody signed him and would he be a fit in Chicago? I mean, it, it, it's his name has certainly come up among Chicago fans over the last couple of months because, God, Connor Bedard needs some help, right? He needs people that yeah. can play with him. What he's doing, with considering the line mates he's had this year, is even all the more remarkable. And it's scary to think what he'll, he'll be able to do when he has guys that can play with him. He has guys that are third, fourth liners that have been playing with him for much of the season. And maybe Lucas Reichel will come out of his slump and be that guy. But yeah, I, I'm on board with this. I, I I talked to Kyle Davidson, the Blackhawks GM, just a couple of, uh, just last week in Seattle, and this is my first question for him: is why aren't you getting Connor Bedard help? And look, I don't know what Phil Kessel what he has left in the tank, but he would be very cheap. He just wants to play. Skating was never an issue for him. He should be able to keep up, right? And if you get eight, and you get you know everyone likes Phil Kessel, you get him a thousand points, you get to have a ceremony, you get to sell some tickets. Like there's no harm. He's he wouldn't be holding anybody back. Uh, that's a long-term part of the future here. The Blackhawks do, I do think they're obligated to get Connor Bedard some help. I don't know if Phil Kessel it really qualifies, but considering what they've been trotting out with him for much of the season, I mean, Phil Kurashev is like a third, fourth liner. Ryan Donato is the guy right now. Nick Foligno has been really good this year, but that's not what they signed him to be a top line left wing. Get him some help. And the Blackhawks are not willing to make a trade to do so. They're not willing to give up futures for this. 
Phil Kessel wouldn't cost them anything, and God knows they've got cap space to burn. So why not? Let's do it. Give me All something right. to write about. I'm bored. Give me something. Yeah, Phil. Okay, listen. Kessel being the Iron Man, Kessel getting a thousand points, all that would give you plenty, uh, plenty of stuff to write about. All right. So thanks for that uh, that note from Zach from Tennessee. That's a perfect place for us to end the podcast. We want to let people know that uh, this week coming up on the weekend, Max Boltman, Corey Pronman with the World Junior Hockey Championships around the corner. The Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series with Max and Corey. New episode will drop on the weekend. So. Uh, look out for that. Last, listen, thanks for, for doing this. This was a ton of fun. Uh, spend the hour with you here. Always, man. Always happy to be the uh, stopgap, the Jock yeah. Martin of the Athletic Hockey Show. I love it. I love it. And we want to say to all of our listeners, you know, listen, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, uh, Happy New Year uh, from, from the entire crew here uh, at the Athletic Hockey Show. Happy holidays because uh, we we appreciate like those notes that we got from from Zach in Tennessee, it's it's those types of notes that uh, that really you know uh, make us feel good about what we do here and keeping you entertained. So we want to wish all of you who listen to the Athletic Hockey Show uh, a happy and safe holiday season. So that does it for the Thursday podcast. I want to remind you that if you're just looking for that last minute gift and you're like, oh my god, it's December twenty second, and I haven't bought that certain something for uh, somebody in my life, we want to let you know that from now to the end of the year. You can gift a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $19.99 or a two-year subscription for $39.99 when you visit athletic.com slash 